2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross, paying for the sins of everyone who trusts him. And then he was buried. He had died. He was buried, corpse in the tomb. And then, just as he promised, three days later, he rose, physically rose from the dead to everlasting, never-to-die life. And just think for a moment about what, what Jesus' resurrection means for us. It's massively important. It means, one thing is that we have eyewitness historical evidence to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. It means that Jesus has conquered death's power. He rose. It means that Jesus has overcome Satan's power. And it means that all of our sins can be forgiven through what Jesus did on the cross. Massively important. But there is another truth that the Bible says is for us because Jesus rose from the dead. It's a truth that can often be neglected, overlooked. It's the truth that we who trust Jesus are raised with Jesus from the dead. We who trust Jesus are raised with Jesus from the dead. Now, what does that mean? And what difference does that make for us? That's what we want to talk about this morning. From Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Go ahead and turn there. Let me give you some background to the book, that the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in, in Colossae. 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, Paul, the apostle, was preaching in Ephesus. And while he was there preaching, a man from Colossae was there listening to him. And as he listened, God changed Epaphras' heart so that he knew that what Paul was saying was true. He knew that God had created him to have the joy of knowing him, knowing God. He knew that. He, he knew that he had turned his back on God and had sinned walking away from God and that he deserved eternal punishment from God. And he knew that in great love and mercy, God had sent Jesus to pay for the sins of all who trust him so that we could be reconciled to God into the joy that we were created for. And so Epaphras repented of his sin, put his faith in Jesus Christ, trusted Jesus to forgive him, to change him, to satisfy him. And he was filled with the joy, the life that he was created for in knowing God. And then he went back to Colossae, and he told everyone he could about Jesus, and a church was planted there. Now, fast forward a few years. The Apostle Paul has been arrested and is in Rome, and Epaphras is there with him, telling him about the church in Colossae and expressing concern because a false teaching had come into that church, which was turning people's hearts away from Jesus. So they were trying to get spiritual life, and overcome sin with strange rituals and mystical experiences and abstaining from various practices or foods, things which Jesus never talked about. So Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae, showing that Jesus is everything. 
All the spiritual power you need, found only in Jesus. All the power over sin you need, only in Jesus. All the life that you need is found only in Jesus. I would encourage you to read the whole letter. Powerful, book of Colossians. But today we're going to focus on Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, in which Paul says that we have been raised with Christ and tells us what that means. Let's read verses 1 through 4, Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, there it is, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, one crucial question we have to ask is, when are we raised with Christ? When does that happen? Because we know that the Bible teaches that at the end of history, Everyone who trusts Jesus is going to be raised physically from the dead with Christ, right? So we have no fear of death because we will be raised from the dead at the end of history. And we could think that's what Paul's talking about here. But it's not what Paul's talking about here. Read verse 1 again. If then you have been raised with Christ. So Paul is saying that we already have been raised with Christ in the past, It's already happened. Because you're trusting Jesus, you have been raised with Christ. So when exactly did that happen? If it's in the the past sometime, like when? Paul had already told the readers back in the previous chapter. Let's jump back to chapter 2, verse 12. Look at what Paul says. You were buried with him in baptism. In which, in which baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul says that this happened, you were raised with him, that happened when you were baptized. Now we know from the book of Acts that in some cases that happens when somebody puts their trust in Jesus before they're baptized. Sometimes it happens after they're baptized, sometimes it happens during their baptism. Paul here is talking about the the point of conversion. When you were first saved, that's when this happens. Now, since baptism is mentioned here, let me just encourage you. If you haven't been baptized, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, if you have heart faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord and your treasure, and you haven't been baptized, let's talk about that. Talk to your home group leader. Talk to one of the elders. Baptism does not save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ saves you. But the first step Jesus calls believers to take is to show their faith by baptism, and he pours out much grace through that process. So we want to talk about encouraging you towards being baptized. But Paul's main point here is that we were raised with Christ when we were first saved. When we first put our trust in Jesus, expressed that in baptism, in that conversion episode, we were raised with Christ. But now what does that exactly mean to be raised with Christ? How was I raised with Christ? What happened? Paul answers this also back in chapter 12, verse 13. 
he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, another phrase describing sin, so you who were dead in your sins, your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So notice, we were dead in sin, but God made us alive together with Christ. And that's the same thing as being raised with Christ. So what does it mean that we were dead in sin? That'll help us figure out what it means to be made alive, to be raised. How are we dead in sin? Well, think about it like this. God created us so that we could have life in him. We could have life that is joy and pleasure, meaning, passion. God created us so we could have our life in him. The tragic thing, though, is that sin makes us all turn our backs on God. So here's God. The life we were created to have, the life we were craving and wanted is in him. We've all turned our backs on God, and we're looking for life out here somewhere, but there's no life out here. And if, if we've turned from our life, which is God, and we're seeking life over here, and there's no life here, that makes us lifeless. That makes us dead, emotionally, spiritually. Now, let me illustrate this by quoting some celebrities. I, I, some of you may not be persuaded that there is no life outside of God. Let me persuade you that that's the case. Here's some celebrities. Now, I apologize. These are all from America, okay? Just because that's what I know. It, every country's got celebrities like this, saying stuff like this. Send me some. I'll use them next time, okay? I'd be glad to do that. But listen to some celebrities from the U.S. and how they have not found life. Here's Jim Carrey, movie star. Says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That will shock some of you. That is not the answer. How about American football star Tom Brady? This was when he only had three Super Bowl rings, okay? Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? There's got to be more than this. Whoa. And then movie star Anthony Hopkins. He says, you know, I meet people, meet young people, and they want to act, and they want to be famous. And I tell them, when you get to the top of the tree, there's nothing up there. Nothing. Now, we would think if anybody has found life, joy, meaning, passion, purpose, it'd be celebrities like these. But they've not found it. Because life is only found in knowing Jesus Christ. Only place life is found is in him. And since sin made us turn from Jesus... And we're looking for life here where there's no life. That makes us lifeless, which means we are dead emotionally and spiritually. Now, there's, there's obviously some little pleasures that can come from time to time, but nothing's lasting and nothing is full. So we are left dead emotionally and spiritually. Now, with that in mind, let's read Colossians 2.13 again and see if this makes more sense to you now. And you who were dead, there it is, emotionally, spiritually dead. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh and your sin, God 
made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Think about how Jesus was physically dead in the tomb. Dead. But God, with miraculous supernatural power, made him alive. Amazing. In the same way, we who are emotionally and spiritually dead, dead, God, by his miraculous supernatural power, made us spiritually, emotionally alive in his life. Now, how did he do that? How did he make us alive? It's by giving us a taste of the life that's in Jesus. Giving us a taste of the joy, of the pleasure, of the passion that's found in knowing, beholding, worshiping Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. Bear with me here. Imagine that you were out in sin desert. Okay? Sin desert. Think of Lewa out there, someplace hot, and, and you are thirsty, really thirsty. And you're looking for water. And all you can find is, I mean, you're, you're like dry, hot sand. That, that's not doing it for me. And there's little, maybe a couple little green puddles of scum. It's like, oh, that, that's not, so you're not finding anything out there that's satisfying your thirst. Okay, that's, that's where we were, sin desert. But then one day, God sends someone to you who tells you about Jesus Valley and how there is so much cold, crisp, clear water flowing through Jesus Valley. You can drink to your heart's content. And then he says, in fact, I brought you a sample. Here's a bottle. Jesus Valley written on this bottle. Here, try this. Oh, man, I'm so thirsty. Take the top off. Oh, yes. That's it. That's it. Take me to Jesus Valley. Now, that taste of water changed everything for you. I mean, you were like, a little bit of sand here? No, it's not going to do it. It's a little bit of green muck. It's not going to do it. Water! That's what I need. That one taste of life in Jesus changed everything for you. Now, here's how Jesus put it in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Look at what Jesus said himself. I love this passage. He's out in public on the street. There's a big processional going on. It's the last day of the feast. So on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, just imagine, this is our Jesus. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So much living water that you will flow forth with living water. Whenever we turn to Jesus and trust him, whenever anyone turns and sincerely trusts Jesus to forgive, to change, to fill and to satisfy, we receive his living water. He pours living water out upon us. And our thirsty souls for the first time, yes, yes, this is the life I've been looking for. And by giving us that taste, God makes us spiritually alive. We were spiritually, emotionally dead in sin, 
But God, by supernatural power, just as really as he raised Jesus physically from the dead, raises us spiritually and emotionally from our spiritual and emotional death. Hey, Charles Spurgeon's one of my heroes. Pastor in England, 1800s. Here's how he described what happened to him. He says, I confess that I never was satisfied till I came to Christ. The joy of that day was indescribable. I could have leaped. I could have danced. I had passed from darkness into marvelous light, from death to life. And he goes on, home, friends, health, wealth, comforts, all lost their luster that day when he appeared. He was the only Lord and giver of life's best bliss. The one well of living water springing up unto everlasting life. Charles Spurgeon had been dead in sin, but God made him alive, raised him from the dead, from spiritual, emotional death, raised him with Christ, and that's what God has done for everyone who trusts Jesus. Now, with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 again. So we've just took a little detour from Colossians 3, 1, back to chapter 2 to figure out what raised with Christ is all about. Let's read chapter 3, verse 1, first words. If then you have been raised with Christ. So we're clear on what that means now. Past, made alive by tasting the life of Jesus. We were spiritually and emotionally dead. Now we're alive. We've been raised supernaturally. We know his life now. If then you have been raised with Christ. Now, those words, if then, let me just explain. They mean since therefore. Since therefore you have been raised with Christ. So Paul is saying, okay, so therefore, because you've been raised with Christ, here's what you should do. Here's how you should live. So let's raise that as our next question. What should we do? Since we've been raised with Christ, what should we do? And Paul tells us in the first two verses, let's read verse one. If then, or therefore since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So what should we do? We should seek Jesus. We should seek Christ. Seek him. Now, what does it mean to seek something? It means to pursue something, to go after something, to want to gain something. That's what Paul's talking about here. I thought about, think about an Olympic athlete who is seeking the gold medal. This is what they're seeking. So they're, they're getting up early to run, seek that gold medal, right? They're watching what they eat to seek that gold medal. They're training hard to seek that gold medal. They're, they're seeking the gold medal. That's the picture Paul wants us to have here. We are seeking the things above where Christ is. We're seeking Christ. He is our goal. He is our prize. He is our treasure. We are seeking him. And look at verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, this is the same command with different words. Think about it. What's an Olympic athlete 
thinking about while he's training, going through all that. He's thinking about, again, the gold medal, gaining the gold medal. The alarm goes off early. The gold medal. I'm going to get up, right? Or somebody says, how about some more dessert or some dessert? Ah, the gold medal. No, thanks. Okay, or he's running, training hard, whatever it might be. Thinking about setting his mind on the gold medal. That's his motivation. That's what he longs for. That's the prize. And that's what Paul is calling us to have. We've, see, we've been in sin desert. Remember sin desert? Yeah, dry sand, green muck. We've been in sin desert. There's no water. We've received living water in Jesus Christ. So now we're, we're thinking about Jesus. We want more of Jesus' life. We want more of that living water. So we open up God's word early in the morning. Pray, read, seek his face. Oh, Lord, I'm, you're living water. I want more of you. We, we avoid looking at something on the internet. I want more of you, Jesus Christ. We, we, I'm going to forgive someone for your sake, Jesus, because I, I, want, I want more of you. We're, we're here gathered with God's people to worship because we want more of that living water. We're, we're walking with God. We're in a home group. We're, we're, we're doing everything we do because we're seeking, we're setting our minds upon Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's calling us to do. Now, I got a little stuck yesterday. Just, Lord, what do you want to say to Grace Church through this? And I prayed and prayed and prayed. I think God wants to have us ask a very important question. Think about this last week or maybe the last month. What have you been tempted to seek more than Jesus this last week or this last month? What have you thought about more? Like, you know, in the spare moments when your mind is just empty, where does your mind go more than Jesus? Maybe money or a new friendship? Maybe getting something done or, or buying something? Maybe getting back at someone or going somewhere, maybe sexual pleasure or being noticed, uh, maybe a new Netflix show, right? There's just dozens of possibilities. See, every week and every day, we've, we've left sin desert, we've, we've moved into Jesus' valley, but our remaining indwelling sin is still saying, go back, look at that. There's a... We know it's a mirage, but no, 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 look at that beautiful oasis with palm trees over there in Sin Desert. Go back. I mean, we feel that, right? We, we've, we've tasted living water, but our hearts pull us back to these things. Okay, come on now. We, we all experience this, right? Little hesitant, church. You all, we all, I all, we, we all experience this, okay? And I think that Jesus wants to call us, Grace Church, however it applies to us, to get back in a fresh way to seeking Jesus, to setting our minds on him. That's what he's calling us today. The problem, though, is that it's not easy. We have remaining sin in us, and it's pulling us back. So, Paul, we need help, and Paul knows we need help. And in the last two verses, he gives us help. Verses 3 and 4, he gives us help. So how does Paul help us. He gives us three powerful reasons in verses three and four. And he gives us these reasons because as we think deeply about these reasons, 
and pray over these reasons and preach these reasons to ourselves, the Holy Spirit will come, fresh living water, fresh faith. We'll say, that's just a mirage. No way. I'm staying here in Jesus Valley. So let's take a look at these three reasons so we can use them as weapons as we head into the week. First reason, it's because with Christ, we have died to sin. That's the first half of verse 3. Paul says, for you, for means because, because you have died. Now, what does that mean? He's already explained that back in chapter 2 again, chapter 2, verse 10. Look at what he says there. With Christ, you died, there it is, to the elemental spirits of the world. Elemental spirits of the world, just another name for sin. Sin, spiritual powers pulling us towards sin. So with Christ, you died to those sinful powers. In other words, when we were saved, we spiritually died with Christ to sin. We died to sin. We talked earlier about how God made us alive to him by giving us that taste of water, but now we see that the taste of water also makes us dead to sin. Alive to God, dead to sin. So how does this dead to sin work? See if this helps. Think again about sin desert, okay? You were thirsty, parched, not finding any water anywhere, but then you drink this living water from Jesus Valley, and for the first time, you're tasting the life that you have longed for. Now, now think about it. As you're drinking that water for the first time, oh, it's just so cold and crisp and good. At that moment, you're drinking. Are you, are you having any thoughts about, I think I'm going to finish this and then stay in sin, sin desert? Anybody thinking at that point, I'm going to finish this, I'm just going to stay here in sin desert? The answer is no. No one is thinking that. What are we all thinking? Take me to Jesus Valley. So the drink of living water of Jesus, experiencing that life, it changes everything. You are now dead to sin desert. Are you kidding me? I'm turning away from that. I'm never going back. I'm dead to that. There's nothing there because you're tasting the life that you've been longing for all your life. So, when you find something capturing your heart from sin desert, and we've all got them, right? Some of us are battling it right now. When you find something that's pulling you back towards sin desert, Paul would say, remind yourself how you died to sin when you had that first taste of living water. Remember that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that, that killed sin in my heart. I didn't want sin ever again. I wanted to run towards Jesus Valley. So remember that. And, and not only remember that, but I would encourage you also to seek Jesus afresh for a new outpouring of living water. Ask yourself, how long has it been since you have had a, look, 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 a drink of Jesus living water? How long has it been? I would encourage you, fresh way, seek the Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit upon me afresh. I'm thirsty for you. I've been, I've been looking back at Sin Desert. I, I, I need a fresh taste from you. Open up the scriptures. We meet Jesus in the words of scripture. Maybe you have a brother or sister. Hey, could you come and pray with me and open up God's word with me and maybe help me figure out how to, how to seek fresh, a fresh outpouring of living water from Jesus
he will do that. He promises. John 6, 35. He says, I'm the bread of life. Bread instead of water. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Whenever we come to Jesus, trusting, believing, seeking, he will always pour out living bread, living water upon us. That's the first reason we should seek Jesus, set our minds upon Jesus, turn away from the sins that are seeking to pull us back. First reason. Second reason, I love this, it's because our life, that is our joy and pleasure, is safe and secure with Christ in God. This is amazing. Verse 3, read the whole verse. For you have died, we just talked about that reason, and reason number two, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, that word hidden, I puzzled over that for a long time. That word is often used in the Bible to describe something that's safe and secure. Like an example, Psalm 17, which says we are hidden in the shadow of God's wings. Safe, secure. I love that picture. The point is this. When you are seeking your life in Jesus, when you're seeking your joy, your pleasure, your passion in Jesus, nothing can threaten it. Because nothing can threaten Jesus. I mean, think about this. How secure is your life, your joy, your pleasure, if you're seeking it in your job? How secure is it? Especially here in Abu Dhabi. How secure in it? Uh, not very. How about if you're seeking it in money? Uh, money can come and money can go. Right? How about in, in a relationship? See, anything else we are seeking our life in, our joy, our pleasure, our future, anything and everything else can and will be threatened by circumstances, but only seeking your life in Jesus means that your life, your joy, your pleasure is safe and secure. In the U.S., we have Fort Knox, where we hear that all of our country's gold is stored, okay? So you can imagine the security. Fort Knox, steel wall around it. Um, I wrote down a couple of things here. The building is made of concrete, lined granite, reinforced with steel. And the door of the vault, get this, get this, weighs 20 tons. The door of the vault. So you get the idea, right? No one's touching our gold, okay? That's what's happening with Fort Knox. As secure as Fort Knox is, Jesus is infinitely more secure. Infinitely more. When you seek your life and your joy and your pleasure in Jesus Christ, because he is at the right hand of God, he's sharing with the Father in complete sovereignty and authority over everything, because he controls everything, nothing can threaten him, because he's in control of everything. And so when you seek your life and your joy, and your pleasure in him, it is safe, and it is secure, now and forever. Isn't that amazing? So, turn back to Jesus' valley is the point, right? Nothing in sin desert is going to do it for you. Not safe, not secure. Jesus, safe, secure. Clear? Okay, one more reason. 
our future will mean even more joy in his glory. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, amazing statement, Christ, he is your life. The life you're looking for is in him. And when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Every earthly joy will fade. Ask Tom Brady, right? Celebrities, every earthly joy will fade, but not the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. Never fades. So think about this. At the end of history, Jesus Christ is going to appear before all of humanity. All of humanity shining with joy and love and righteousness and holiness. And because you trusted him, because you experienced his living water, because you left sin desert and settled down in Jesus' valley, you will appear with Jesus in glory. And you're going to be shining with his glory. And forever you will have never-ending, ever-increasing joy in knowing him. Forever. In Jesus Christ, your future is amazing, church. Amazing. Life is short. It's war here now. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness. Okay, there's suffering, there's persecution. Eternity is coming and it is long and it is full of never-ending, ever-increasing joy, life in Christ. That's the third reason. Our future will mean even more joy in his glory. So keep seeking him and keep setting your mind upon him. So think about this. 2,000 years ago, God, with supernatural power, raised Jesus physically from the tomb, from the dead. Miraculous demonstration of power. Jesus' dead body raised physically, never to die again. And when you put your trust in God, when you put your trust in Jesus, the first time you put your trust in him, God, with supernatural power, raised you spiritually, emotionally from the dead. Gave you life spiritually, emotionally. Miraculous, powerful transformation. He did that. He raised you spiritually and emotionally with Christ and made you alive with Christ. Now, I would guess that some of you came here today and you've never tasted. You've been in sin desert. You don't know what it means to drink living water. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ is standing before you with his arms wide open. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Turn from your sin. Trust Jesus to forgive you. Trust Jesus to change you. Trust Jesus to satisfy you infinitely more than sin ever had and ever will. He will pour his spirit out upon you. We're praying that that happens for you today. Let's stand together. I want to pray for us.
We praise you, Jesus Christ, that you came, you lived amongst us, you died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who trust you. We praise you, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead powerfully, supernaturally, making him alive. And we praise you that we will be raised from the dead physically at the end of history. We have no need to fear death. And we praise you that when we put our trust in Jesus, you give us that taste of living water, and that makes us alive, that raises us from emotional and spiritual death, makes us dead to sin. We praise you for what you've done. Thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Easter. I love focusing on the death and the resurrection of Jesus and what it brings.